All right, well, today we're going to continue, uh, actually finish up the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28 as we continue this series, God Makes a Way. And I'm going to read to you just a little bit of this book of Acts of chapter 28, beginning with chapter, uh, verse 24. So some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. This is the word of God today for the people of God, and everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, in a um, nondescript room, in a nondescript building in uh, Zindorf, Germany, teams of people are working five days a week sorting through shredded paper. Now, these bags of paper are, are in mail sacks. And the ones that they're working with day after day are just a few of the 16,000 mail sacks of shredded paper left by the Stasi, the East German secret police. When the Berlin Wall came down, you remember, and that government fell. Now, in those bags, in this shredded paper, is what's left of the meticulous records they used to keep on their citizens, the records they kept especially on the people that they suspected of being anti-government, but also they kept meticulous records on the people who were their informants, the people who would spy on and report the conversations and whereabouts and movements of the people that they knew. Now, some of these informants were informing on co-workers, on church members, and on members of their own families. And there were hundreds and thousands of them. Well, they've been reconstructing these records, taking each shred of paper and putting them back together so that they can get to the truth of what happened in those years. There are people whose lives were disrupted or ruined by the Stasi, and they want to know how that kind of thing could have happened. They want to know what was said about them and who said it, because they want to set the record straight. Oftentimes, they want to clear their names. They want the truth to finally come out. Well, in the reconstructing of these records, you can imagine information, truth has come out that has split families, that has ruined relationships of friends, done all kinds of damage. And many people are beginning to wonder to what end. They begin to wonder whether or not these kinds of truths should just be left untold because that kind of truth 
about these individuals who participated, but also about their country and what was going on during that period of time. Those truths are just so hurtful. Now, we all know that the truth does hurt sometimes. We know also that the truth is sometimes hard to hear, hard to understand and perceive, even harder to believe sometimes. Mark Twain is credited with saying that a lie will make its way halfway around the world before the truth gets its boots on. The truth is hard to hear, understand, perceive, and believe. And even these days, it's even harder to pin down because we live in a time where there's some question among many people as to whether there is such a thing as the truth, as one truth. So we walk in these days as though we're walking in a sandstorm of confusion often with many, many competing truth claims. The good news is, though, that even as we head into those, that whirlwind of competing truth claims in that whirlwind of confusion, God makes a way for us to know His truth and to know it in a way that we can understand and perceive and believe, and that actually can bring us healing. Now, we've been talking this last month about how God makes a way for us. God makes a way for us to leverage who we are and where we've been, our experiences, and even our status as American citizens in order to be citizens of heaven right here in this place on this earth. God makes a way for us by protecting us and positioning us to make the most of every moment, to be our best for God and to be the best for those who are around us. God makes a way for us, as we've seen, to be friends with God when we allow Christ to constrain some of our worst impulses and lead us to being the best we can be. We saw last week, too, that God makes a way for us to make it through our darkest days on the promise that He will never leave us and never forsake us. And we've seen all these things through the lens of the stories of Paul the Apostle in those early days of the church as he carried out his mission to go and to bring news of Jesus and an awareness of the one true God, the God of Israel, to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And we've seen that not a lot of people, many people didn't like this mission that Paul was on. In the course of carrying out this mission, he was beaten up, he was flogged, he was arrested, he was even shipwrecked, as we saw last week. But through it all, Jesus protected him, God protected him, and made a way for him to witness to Jesus, even in the halls of power. Well, after Paul was shipwrecked, he finally made his way down to Rome. And when he got to Rome, he was put under house arrest one more time. And again, he was given enough freedom to write letters of encouragement to the churches that he had established in the region, but also to receive guests, to receive visitors. And the first thing he did when he got to Rome, Scripture tells us, and he got into this place under house arrest, is he invited leaders of the Jewish synagogues in Rome to come and visit him because Paul wanted to set the record straight. 
He wanted to let them know about Jesus for sure. But he also wanted to set the record straight and tell the truth about himself. Well, he called these leaders in from the synagogues around Rome, and they came in, and remarkably, they claimed to really not know much about Paul at all, that they hadn't heard about him at all. They came in, they said, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you, which is really hard to believe because Paul, after all, was public enemy number one to the high priesthood in Jerusalem. It's kind of incredible that they would have never heard anything about Paul. It's more likely that they were operating in Rome, and they just kind of wanted to stay out of any controversy that involved the government. But at any rate, whatever their claims, Paul still wants them to know some truths about him. He wants to set this record straight. And what he wants them to know is that no matter what they've heard or what they didn't hear, he is not under arrest right now. He is not in chains, the way he puts it. He is not in custody right now because he has any beef with Judaism or with the high priesthood or anything like that. His claim is that he is in chains because of the hope of Israel. That's the way he puts it, the hope of Israel. That he, like every Jewish person for millennia, had been hoping for, waiting for God to send the Messiah. A Messiah who would come and inaugurate the resurrection of the dead and the redemption of Israel. And his crime, as he sees it, his crime is simply believing that Jesus is that Messiah. That Jesus is that hope of Israel. And he says, for that reason, I am in chains. It's for that reason that he brings those people in to listen to him. It's for that truth, for the sake of that truth, that he, over the next few days, brings many people in to his room. And Scripture says, from morning until evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. In other words, he goes all the way back into the record of the Old Testament and he, he tells them how it is by the prophets, by the law, that Jesus was predicted to be this Messiah. He lays all this out for them in meticulous detail. And in the course of telling that truth, he realizes an ancient truth. A sad truth, a hurtful truth. He realizes as he sees that some believed, but many, many didn't. That the words that God spoke through Isaiah centuries before was true about the people who stood before him. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. He understands this is true about the people who are standing before him, and tragically about his nation. These are people who have blinded themselves to the truth 
of God, and they are walking through a sandstorm of confusion. And what Paul says, of course, about them is just as true for us today. We can all be, and many, many, many are, people who are ever hearing but never understanding the truth of God, seeing but never perceiving the truth of God. And it's tragic because the truth is God makes himself known to us. God makes himself known to all people. We can all perceive God. And God's made it this way. We can perceive God in nature, in the things that are around us, in those ironclad and intricate laws of the physical universe that point to a designer, that point to a creator. We can see God. We can see the hand of God in the miraculous and sometimes providential working out of history, where miraculously good triumphs over evil, when it's just not probable and it's against all odds we see the hand of God there. We can understand who God is by just looking inside ourselves. The fact that we have an innate sense of what is right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil, that we have somehow a conscience, that we have a sense that there is a standard outside ourselves to which people aspire and that we are accountable to. And that when that standard is violated, we're, we're offended. Our sense of justice is offended. These things, all of them, work together to point to the existence of God. Paul said in his letter to the Romans, he says, God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. But whether people have an excuse or not, people do have a tendency to deny God. And even as they see the natural world around them, they go ahead and just uh, attribute that to any other cause but God. We can be blind to God or else selectively cited where we accept God and, and His truth where it's convenient for us, but we reject it when it's not. Here's the thing. It may be easier to deny the existence of God when we're just looking around at the natural world, we can attribute those, those phenomenon to other things. But it gets much more difficult to deny who God is, to deny His nature, to deny what God expects of us and what He hopes for us. It's harder to do that when we are looking at 
the person of Jesus. When we are looking at who God is by looking at the person of Jesus, it gets an awful lot harder to deny God and his purposes. Like Paul discovered on that road to Damascus, it's hard to be blind to God. It's hard to deny him. It's hard to kick against the goads. When the illumination, when the light of Jesus lights up the truth, who God is, what his expectations of us are, and what his hopes for us are. When you look throughout the New Testament, you see example after example. For instance, when Jesus is having supper with his disciples on that night when he's about ready to walk outside. He knows he's walking outside to be arrested and then brought to trial and then to die. He knows this. In that critical moment, he tells his disciples, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It shines a light on our own tendency sometimes to self-gratification, even at the expense of other people. But it also lifts our eyes to God's hope for us, that we will give ourselves, give of ourselves to others. On that very same night when Jesus was with his disciples, Scripture says, having loved those who were his own, who were in the world, those disciples, he now showed them the full extent of his love by washing their feet. Do you remember that? He washes their feet in this extreme act of service. Sure, it shines a light, shines a light on, on our self-centeredness sometimes. But it also, also raises up God's hope for us that like Jesus, we can find strength and we can find a bigger heart through serving other people. When Jesus was on the cross, when he was actually hanging on the cross, he's actually in his agony. And Jesus looked down and he saw his mother and he saw his disciple John. And in that moment again of agony, he takes care of his mother. He says, woman, here is your son. And to John, he says, here is your mother. Shines a light. Shines a light on, I think, our culture's uh, inability sometimes to take care of the least vulnerable, the most vulnerable among us. Lifts up, though, God's hope that we will become a people who will honor those who have gone before us and prioritize those who are coming up behind us. Be the kind of people who take care of the, the least, the least of these. All these things and more and more and more, they all hold a mirror up to us. Jesus is that mirror that shows our shortcomings, but also shows how good God has made us to be. Also shows us God's hopes for us, that we can be the people He wants us to be. 
Jesus shows us that truth. Jesus is like that rainstorm that just cuts through the sandstorm of confusion. Shows us the truth. Sometimes that truth hurts. But always when we embrace it, when we really go ahead and lean into that truth, it's going to heal us. Paul said we can be those people. We can all be those people who are ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving, a people whose heart has become calloused, hardly hearing and hardly seeing. But we can also, when we see the truth in the light of Jesus, see what God expects of us and His hopes for us, we can also be those people who do see with our eyes, who do hear with our ears, who understand with our hearts, and then can turn to Him and be healed. Well, Paul, as he talked with these Jewish leaders, uh, became very frustrated. He saw how some of them believed a little bit, but most of them did not. And the whole meeting eventually disintegrated into arguments and disagreements over who Jesus is, who the Messiah might be, who Paul is, who he says he is, who he says he's not. It degenerated into this whole ruckus. And Paul, in the middle of it, stood up and gave him one final word. He said, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Well, many of them did. And many of them still do today. And that's our task. To be among those who listen. Who listen. Who understand. Who perceive. To turn. And who are healed day by day, by Him. All right, well, next week we are going to um, continue in this series, God Makes a Way, one more time as the people from Teen Challenge come to show us how God makes a way for redemption and for freedom, even from the chains of addiction. But this week, let's be those people who go out into the world and into our daily lives and into our prayer corners and ask God to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to what He expects of us and His hopes for us. Let's let God make a way to make His truth known in us. Amen? Amen.